One of the best wines of my life, it was a bottle from 1958. When you have this smell, this complexity, I, I was close to cry. <laughs> Sometimes Barolo can put you in this condition. Hi, I'm Derek Morrison and welcome to another episode of Bring Your Own. For today's episode, we're very excited to celebrate one of Italy's most noble grape varieties, Nebbiolo. Joining us with some incredible bottles from their own cellars are Luca Rowania from his family's domain in Barbaresco and David Harvey, wine merchant based in London, UK with Rayburn Fine Wines. We're very fortunate to be hosted by the great team at Fera at Claridge's in Mayfair, one of London's most iconic hotels. It was an incredible pleasure to occupy this beautiful restaurant. If you enjoy the episode, please take some time to review online and share with your friends. Gentlemen, thanks so much for being with us tonight to celebrate some Nebbiolo and crack up with some pretty deserving bottles. Um, let's just go around and quickly introduce ourselves. We'll start with you, David. Why don't you just tell us a bit about uh, who you are, what you do. Thanks. Uh, David Harvey from uh, Rayburn Fine Wines, uh, based in Edinburgh and London. Uh, and Piemonte is one of our great loves and sort of specializations. Fantastic. And we're very honored to have you with us, Luca, today. Big fan of your wines, um, both professionally and personally. So. I'm quite excited to, to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Can you tell us a bit about uh, what you're up to in Piemonte? Thank you so much. I'm Luca Roagna, Roagna family, the fifth generation of uh, our family in uh, classic winemaking. Uh, I'm from Barbaresco village, a really, really tiny vi village with 600 people, really. We have more hectares than people in the area. <laughs> and uh, we have vineyards between Barolo and Barbaresco. We, I work with my father, Alfredo. Uh, we grow 15, we work in 15 hectares, uh, half in Barbaresco and half in Barolo Appellation. Fantastic. So you have a couple of bottles uh, that you make uh, to share with us. Why don't you, uh, um, I'll tell you what, we can, we can pour them out and um, we can uh, taste and you can tell us a bit about them. We'll start with the uh, Baillet on the right. Great. And Pira on the left. I think it's quite interesting to start to talk about uh, Nebbiolo. Talking about the two appellations of Lange, uh, the, two, uh, the Barbaresco and the, the Barolo uh, wines, because are uh, similar but so different. Uh, are, um, the appellation of uh, Barolo and Barbaresco have to be made. The wine have to be made with 100% Nebbiolo, uh, with uh, aging in barrel. Uh, could be three, four years. Uh, for example, we release after five years, but is our uh, our choice, and. Um, the soil composition is really different, is why uh, we consider Nebbiolo one of the great varieties of, uh, of the Lange, because every little detail inside of the soil, different, make completely different wines. Um, so we're, we're tasting first the Pira, the Barolo, and yeah. I guess kind of common assumptions would be that uh, people generally regard, you know, the, the introductory text on the Lange is that uh, Barbaresco is the easier, more approachable in its youth, more... Um, a delicate expression, whereas Barolo is regarded as the, the, the bigger, more powerful one. So everybody uh, think like. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's too broad of a perspective. It's too broad yeah. uh, of things to say. And but um, tell us a little bit why you think we should drink the Peter before the Paille in the state. Uh, talking in general, uh, I I agree with you because uh, if we try many Barolo from different historical parcels. We say menzione geografica, menzione geografica aggiuntiva for the crew. Uh, a lot of uh, Barolo are uh, more powerful, more tannic than a lot of Barbaresco. But um, to be more precise, we have really to talk about every single vineyard. For example, we are uh, uh, not really common in the, in the expression of Barolo and Barbaresco because our Barolo come from a monopoly vineyard, who is uh, Pira. 
is one of the oldest property of, uh, uh, of Castiglione Falletto. We found documents about 500 years ago talking about uh, this, uh, this vineyard. And uh, Castiglione Falletto is really known to be the elegant village of, uh, of the Barolo. We are uh, in the area of the Rocche. Uh, this means uh, our soil with uh, a lot of different layers. You have to consider Lange. Uh, in Lange we have sedimentary soil, mainly our uh, white soil. Uh, with a lot of limestone, marl, grey, blue marl, and sometimes sand. And the unicity of the rock is the composition of, 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 the, of this soil, is really stony uh, soil with uh, a lot of different layers. And uh, our monopoly vineyard Pira comes from the destruction of the rock. And it's uh, easy to understand if you have a really uh, rocky soil, the wine will be really mineral, not aggressive and so elegant and this is why uh, Castiglione Falletto is known to be one of the elegant terroir. And there is some sand in, in yeah. uh, Pira as well? Something unique, you can find uh, red sand only in, uh, not everywhere, some, some vineyards in Serra Lunga d'Alba, some vineyards in Castiglione Falletto, I don't know uh, in a lot of other uh, places. And the sand is always important, a little part of sand, uh, because give a little bit less of uh, alcohol inside of the wine, a uh, little bit less of color, and for Piemontese producer we are never worried if the color is not too dark, yeah. <laughs> and uh, more finesse. The elegance in the nose is uh, something unique if you have a little touch of sand inside. A bit, more, a bit more perfume as well. Yes, it can yes, be. Yes. Yes, of course, after every approach, every different vinification, uh, make different wines. But uh, usually if you have sand in the soil, you have the touch of the, of the elegance. Yeah. Everything you vinify, everything's vinified in Barbaresco. And because you, it's quite a historic estate, obviously going back centuries, you're kind of grandfathered in to that yes, respect. Yes. Is that Historically it was like this, but recently we opened a, a new building for uh, Impira, exactly Impira. And now also if it's really family business, if we are only two persons, we have uh, two cellars. Bar uh, the Barbaresco cellar in Paie Vineyard for the vinification of, uh, of uh, all the Barbaresco wines and uh, Impira for the Barolo. And so is that a change in the in usage regulation? The first, uh, uh, the first vintage we, we made, uh, the Barolo, in Castiglione Falletto, is, is in 2010. Oh, okay. Yes. Before, historically, we vinified everything in Barbaresco. Oh, okay. And this is something unique because we have uh, the right, because we are a historical seller. This means more than 50, 60 years ago or 100 years ago, we made uh, in that cellar the Barolo and the Barbaresco wines. So what made you decide to open the, but the, the, the idea, cellar in? The idea of the family, also if it's uh, not easy, because when you are not a lot of people, you have to follow two places. But from the harvest, when we cut the grape to the barrel, uh, the time have to be really fast. And you now, uh, we consider half an hour okay. before for harvesting and transporting the grapes. It was a little, a little bit longer. Plus the traffic jams in the country, <laughs> yes, and so harvest time behind and, tractors. And you have to consider, we always think about the details, but uh, when you work, you do the family business, you have to do all the things. This means or you harvest or you are in cellar. If the cellar is 20 kilometers far, because Barolo and Barbaresco are 20 kilometers far each other, uh, you can't be in cellar. And uh, we try to be focused of also of what happened in cellar, is why we decided to do something also in Castillo Faletto, because when we pick grapes in Pira, uh, me or my father, one of the two is in cellar, the other one is in the vineyard, we check everything. So what's the, um, I'm going back to the Paillet as well now, um, 
uh, were, both of these are the 2012, both are from the old vines uh, selection of the vineyards. Um, harvested and picked then and then vinified um, different parts of the different parts of town. Yes. So how how far apart did you did you harvest? Uh, the the parcels are really far. I want I would like to tell you this because um, in our state we decided to do also the selection by age of the vines. This is uh, our rule is a Roania rule but below 25 years old we think it's not interesting to to release a Barolo or a Barbaresco because the vines are too young. This means all the vines until 25 years old, the fruit we put in an entry level. Lange, Rosso, is the generic uh, wine. Uh, and uh, after, between 25 and 50 years old, we make the single vineyard. And only after 50 years old, we make the old vines. I think it's so important to work in this way. And uh, I think I have also other friends in the region, they, they do similar uh, for, uh, for the Barolo and the Barbaresco. And uh, it's so important because I told you, we, we work in a sedimentary soil. And uh, this means we have a, a lot of different layers deeper underground. If you have a vine uh, young, like uh, five, six years old, when uh, the vines start make production, the roots are really short are maybe a half meter or uh, less than one meter. And uh, the roots are only in the first part of the soil. And when we talk about terroir or when we talk about soil, uh, the interesting part is what's happened when the vines become older, the roots go deeper, maybe 10, 15 meters or more, and take minerals from the different layers. At that point, you will have a good expression of terroir. Before, we consider a little bit too simple the expression, and this is why we do the different selections. The wines we are trying uh, now are with old wines. This means more than 50 years old, but at this period are uh, close to 80 years old, the young wines. Okay. In Pira, the last plantation was in 1937. And uh, in Paye also are a little bit more than 75, the young vines. You yeah. have to consider we had phylloxera 100, uh, 110 years ago. We have also a few vines uh, with that age. Wow. Pira has the oldest vines that you have on the domain. Yes, but um, the last plantation, yeah. because uh, also in Asili, in uh, Montefico, we have vines with 80, 85 years old at, at this point. And uh, we are quite lucky because nobody in our family ripped up uh, old vines. We always believe in the idea of uh, keep the vines until they're alive. And uh, somebody, people ask me, how old do you think uh, can live a vine? And my answer is, I don't know. Because <laughs> to, be, to be determined. Yes. <laughs> no, still because, counting. Yes, because we had uh, the phylloxera only 100, yeah. 110 years ago. It was quite long, but uh, uh, we still have vines with that age. You know, we're, t we're tasting the 2012 the current release of these wines, and, and it, massively youthful. But there's still such a, an, a, an elegance and a balance and a transparency to the wines, which I love, I've always loved about your wines, is that whenever I taste them, you know, you can see that there's still so much um, evolution to be had and so much, so much ahead of these wines. But I always look for wines to be in balance, kind of at always, at every state. And, uh, you know, there's a saying that a great wine is always a great wine, a, a balanced wine always has that, um, uh, that elegance to it when you taste it. But... Um, both of these have just, they're just so elegant. I mean, they're just so beautiful on the palate, even though they're obviously youthful, but um, quite approachable. I mean, is that, what do you think that is a result of in, in terms of how you're vinifying? I, I think this is a really big compliment. Uh, I really appreciate this because uh, my grandfather always said, we have to work for the elegance. 
uh, we consider quite easy make uh, rich, powerful uh, uh, wines and uh, is uh, quite easy make uh, bodybuilder wines, <laughs> but uh, is really more difficult work in the precision and the elegance. This is our deal. After every vintage is different, but we try to keep the classic. This means uh, we don't want to destroy the roots of the family, but consider vinification in big barrels of oak, uh, all natural yeast, all the classic old school, but try to keep also purity inside of the wines. And this means follow really a lot the grapes, maturation, and also follow a lot also the wine during the aging. So how long are the, is the maceration um, in, the, in the... Quite classic, yeah. <laughs> three months. But, but they're so pure and transparent exactly. in their youth. And I think that's the thing that is really commendable and, and um, yes. needs to be highlighted in this one. We're going to taste some young Nebbiolo in, um, from different producers from across, the, across Piemonte, but I think it's really important to highlight for people listening or watching to see, obviously we're tasting some youthful wines, but uh, you shouldn't be scared off by that because there's so much purity in, in, these, in these bottles. Oh, and uh, I think thanks of the help of uh, all the people of the area, uh, now uh, if, you, if you open or you drink or people know old Barolo, it was a wine not ready, never ready, or people wait 10 years, 20 years. Now, I think in our generation, uh, we try to, to respect uh, all the steps of the wine. This means keep the beauty of the classic expression, uh, but keeping also the purity inside of the, of the wine. And uh, I think this is something different than 30 years ago. Is why everybody wait long time for drink. But I think a great bottle of Nebbiolo, if you like uh, freshness, fruit, expression, you can enjoy it in the first five, six years. You can keep 10 years more, or you can keep 50 years if you want. So we wanted to talk a bit about Nebbiolo, and so everyone uh, was asked to bring a bottle from their own cellar. So you've, Luca, you've been very generous to bring a, a few examples of, of your wines and something else to share, which we'll get to. Um, but I, I've always been, you know, I lived in Piemonte for a little while, and I just fell in love with, um, with the grape and with the, with the wines of the Longue, and then as I explored further afoot into Piemonte, into Lombardia, um, wines from Nebbiolo, it's just such a fascinating grape. And I think it's... You know, we're going to taste a lot of different examples, and as you've already touched on, the, um, the effect of the terroir and how it responds to every different site is um, such a, an important detail to appreciating the grape. Um, I wanted to make sure to bring something from outside of the longest so that we, um, we could look at a, at a different, uh, completely different uh, climate in, in how it affects the grape. And so um, I brought the uh, Ferrando uh, Crema, from, uh, which is the northernmost appellation in Piemonte growing Nebbiolo. Um, and uh, uh, so let me get a bit in the glass and we can taste and talk about it. Thanks. There's something so beautiful um, about the vineyards in Crema. I mean, it's, it's such a, you're on the side of the mountain, you know, you've got these beautiful stone pillars and these pergola vineyards on the side. And most of it goes into the co-op, but then, you know, Ferrando is the, I think it's the only producer in, in Crema bottling and producing their own wines. And it was just, uh, it was, you know, after spending so much time in the Lange, when I went up there, I'd never been up to that part and to see, to see these wines and then to taste these really pretty. You can just see the first thing you see is yeah. the color. I mean, it's, Magnificent you know, trans, transparent yes. wine. But I, I always, I really like these kind of more alpine 
um, Nebbiolo appellations in a sense because they give a completely different expression, but still a very much Nebbiolo. And uh, you know, there's you, maybe you could, you could tell me a bit more about the different kinds of Nebbiolo, or, or, or perhaps you, David, David, in terms of uh, getting outside of the longa different clones or Kevinaska versus uh, Nebbiolo. But um, I just like that there's always this kind of this cool climate crunch uh, and, and, and brightness, and especially in their youth, they're very rustic, but they have this kind of um, uh, delicacy that uh, that I that I like and I think it just I like the contrast of this with the more kind of powerful and maybe more profound and this is you know a, a serious wine in its own in own right own right of course but yeah it's really really fascinating so I, I don't know what do you think of the what do you think of the wine it's nice it's got a nice uh, lightness to it and uh, more of the rose side of fruit on the inner palate but I guess this is probably bottled quite a lot earlier than how long has that been in bottle a couple of years already I think so yeah it's the it's a current release, but it's been in it's been in bottle for a little bit before yeah. before release, so settled down a bit in the bottle. But yeah, I mean, you feel that kind of rustic uh, tannic profile, but again, that, as you said, that really kind of. I really like the elegance like. also of this yeah. wine, the mm. the beauty of the Nebbiolo. The every little difference, sometimes in the same hill, make different wines. If you consider South Piemonte and North Piemonte, the wines are obviously so different. Uh, this is the greatness of the variety. So when it comes to uh, you know Nebbiolo, I mean obviously we know we know it's a thin skin grape, very tannic, but very little, little pigmentation. With, with those different those those delicate expressions, what what do you think it is that is maybe the most misunderstood, or people have the wrong idea about Nebbiolo? For my point of view, uh, the the idea sometimes of uh, some customers is uh, uh, Nebbiolo wines are big, uh, not at all. The main characteristic of a Nebbiolo is the elegance and the charm. Also if you try the top wines of the Lange or from everywhere where grow the Nebbiolo, uh, you will find the crazy elegance. The full body wines for, for me are not the best expression and uh, you will find in the top vineyard so elegant wines. And sometimes people, I think, the, the big misunderstood sometimes uh, is to think Nebbiolo is a really big, opulent wine. Not at all. It's one of the most elegant varieties. If it's from a good vineyard and if it's well made, you will find a lot of charm. An, an, an elegant wine, or an elegant genre of wine for the kinds of wines that have almost everything as well, because you have quite good acidity and tannin and depth and body but not too much of any of them if, you, if you're working in the finesse direction. Yeah. One of the things that I've always struggled with is the, you know, it's always the, the hot vintages that get the big points and these big opulent wines that get all the attention from the, you know, some critics. Um, and I've, that, it's always just been a, a really confusing thing for me because it's really that elegance, those contrasts, those nuances of the grape that are the most... Um, inspiring and is what I kind of fascinated me with, with me about the grape and I always find that in the really hot vintages in the opulent styles they tend to become very one-dimensional wines I mean they're impressive in this kind of bodybuilder way as you said but they don't really have any understatement there's nothing that fruit overpowers the kind of more earthy and um, kind of uh, um, pretty aromatics of it and you kind of lose that and uh, you know do you think that that's maybe had some sort of effect on you know, the consumers where people will seek out some wines or it will distract from 
what's maybe the essence of the grape? Or? I think every, every palate, every country have a different approach with, uh, with wines, also with, uh, with Nebbiolo, but I am sure if you ask a producer to bring an old bottle, they will bring always a cold vintage with a lot of complexity. The producer, like uh, one of the last uh, things I did, uh, a friend asked for a bottle uh, in the end of the 90s. I, I took a bottle of 99. And for uh, a lot of people, 2000 is the vintage because it's more opulent, more... Or 97. Uh, or 97 also. But uh, if you talk with producers, we always prefer the, the elegance. David, have you seen kind of like a trend, uh, any sort of uh, changes or shifts in the market? With the producers that we, we work with, they're all working from Botte Grande. And um, so we're working with what, you know, what are simplistically called the traditionalists rather than the modernists from Barrique. But, um, and so as that's all we work with, then I only know how those wines are received. But I think it's, I think it's interesting that when, when, when Barolo was kind of split almost cataclysmically and they were perceived as being two distinct genres of Barolo, of course it was, it was the, the modernists with their Barrique who actually caused a lot of press, made tastings around the world, following on from the work of, for example, Gaia and Barbaresco, talking about Barbaresco and Lange by default around the world, the modernists also took Barolo around the world. And you even had, uh, you had Italian guides like Gambera Rosso, who simply gave terrible scores to any traditional producer and gave huge scores to anybody with a barrique. And so the, the, the scales were really off, off balance for a while. But, but the good thing about people traveling in the world and talking about their wines is that it brought a lot of attention to all the wines and the wealth of Lange, which has resulted in the traditionists getting much more of a look-in. And now pretty much anybody who's into serious wine is now going to revere the great traditional producers using Botte, uh, large oak barrels. And the modernists, to be taken seriously, if you're using barrique, you need to be working really subtly and elegantly with them to make it work. And the small barrel wasn't the problem, it's how you use them that's the problem. Right, I mean, and obviously that's the highlight for the, you know, in that, in, in that, uh, that divide at the time. And it was, you know, there's, uh, one of the you've touched on, obviously there's kind of people's tastes in different markets, tastes in different styles, and you, know, you can make wines of integrity in both camps, and you know, there's dedicated vignerons in both camps, and, People are growing their fruit in a way to match their vinification to a degree. But I think, but perhaps just coming to a point of convergence or of the, the the middle way, the traditionalists have lost the rusticity, and the modernists have lost the oakiness yeah. and the barriqueiness. And so, with whatever vessel you're using, everyone's making them work better. It's now yes. more of a, yes. a, yeah. a smaller piece of this the process. This is an evolution of. And we're maybe just idea. five, five vintages or ten eight vintages into that kind of that kind of phase. So the first vintages of this new level of sensitivity are now coming to the market. Has it become easier? Is it did, did you did you witness it firsthand? Yeah, I guess I first I started going to Italy in 98 and uh, did my first big trip for 2 weeks in the Lange in 2001, 2000, 2001. The economic circumstances, the the, the popularity of Lange wines the uh, economic reality, the investment in the area, the expansion of vineyards, the refurbishment of cellars, the people, bu people buying the right equipment rather than using the wrong equipment. This is, this is, there's been, just been a massive, almost total change. Yeah, I think uh, I saw this because 
I started in 2001, I finished the neurological school in 2001, I started the university, but at the same time I was uh, in charge of the vineyard and cellar with my father. And uh, it was really different, the, the interest at that time. Also it was a different period, the classic uh, wine, maybe it was really less interesting for the for the for the market for the customer i i am really proud of this evolution i saw in my uh, 20 little less than 20 years of uh, of working cellar uh, the evolution of the of the testing of uh, of the persons of the customers and uh, i am uh, i am really happy to see this because a lot of people now have knowledge understand what means uh, uh, what make one vineyard another single vineyard and I think uh, it's really different than uh, 20 years ago or more. Yeah, 20 years ago it was deep countryside. Yeah. Some importers would visit, a few producers might go out and, and do their sales trips, but 364 days of the year it was country. And I guess just the starting point when you get the wines to a buyer or a customer at a table, I mean, you're beginning at a com that conversation at a different state in terms of like, okay, we are in this part of Italy and yeah. you know, you're, instead of starting at the, you know, step one, you can maybe start a little bit more into the nuances about what's going yes, on. Yes, now when we talk uh, about uh, uh, the wines, uh, when uh, I do discussions, uh, uh, we talk about details. Yeah. Before it was more... Uh, starting uh, from the beginning. Yes, start from the beginning, explain uh, the, the classic idea and uh, sometimes also... Uh, uh, you said really correct things. Uh, classic, it was rustic. I think. Volatility. Uh, uh, yes, it was. Hard tannin. Yes, but because also uh, the area come from really poor region. Nobody changed the barrels for a long time. It was really uh, old school farmer work. And I think it's so important to keep the idea and the work of the old style, but with the technology with the system of, uh, of today. In this way we can make more purity but keeping the classic way to make wines. So Luca, you brought a bottle uh, um, from your cellar, not that, uh, not one of the, not just one of the wines that you make. So um, this is a up-and-coming producer. No, yeah, no, <laughs> uh, um, no. no. Can you uh, this is quite a historical say? Can you tell us a bit about the wine you brought? You no, know, in, it in Italian we say this is a vino del cuore, a wine of the heart, and uh, of course this is one of the iconic uh, wines of the region. Uh, now Maria Teresa, she is the, the boss in Bartolo Mascarello. Bartolo is one of the great men who create the reputation of Barolo all around the world. I think it was uh, interesting to share with you this, uh, this nice bottle and the 2013 is uh, a ma magnificent vintage. For me, this is one of the, of the best 13 uh, uh, of the Barolo area. And this is why I decided to bring this from uh, my cellar. Fantastic, let's get some in the glass. David? So if we were opening a bottle 20 or 30 years ago, made by her father, yeah. we would have opened it in advance, we would have decanted it, course, trying to course. soften the wine of down. Uh, but you, you said earlier this wine is ready to go. Yes, but I think this is the, the touch of uh, our generation. Uh, I think if we work well, we don't make troubles, we keep the past and we have only to tune a little bit things to make also to show the beauty of the first part of the of the of the wine and for me Maria Teresa she's doing 
an outstanding work. And uh, uh, of course, I agree with you, David, uh, Bartolo wines, they were never ready. Uh, but I, I, we discussed it before, I had uh, one of the best wines of my life. It was a bottle from 1958. And, uh, you know, when, when you have this smell, this complexity, I, I was close to cry. <laughs> this was an outstanding wine, one of the outstanding bottles of life. And sometimes Barolo can put you in this condition. Like at what point when you were growing up, did you have a wine that was just made you go, it, was, it went from being something on the table to something that made me go, wow, I want to create that. Did you have a moment at some point? Did you always? Uh, of course, I, one of the, uh, pleasure of my life is to enjoy <laughs> bottles of wine from all around the world. I drink more or less uh, uh, wines from all around the world and uh, uh, I am a producer of Barbaresco and Barolo. This means uh, I drink also a lot of Bar Barbaresco and Barolo wines. Um, talking about emotions, old Bartolo, I am also a big fan of uh, old uh, Giacomo Conterno, of course, and also old Bruno Giacosa here. Bruno, unfortunately, he passed away recently. He was uh, one of the great masters of the region. I think maybe uh, I had not long time ago, the 78 from the Colina Rionda. And these are the wines you think, wow, without the technology, without anything, with a great vineyard, good grapes, uh, with the knowledge of the way making, they create uh, iconic wines and uh, uh, of course, I don't have one wine, but many wines uh, are in my heart and uh, I, it will be a dream to, to do similar things. So David, you brought us a bottle. Why don't uh, you tell us a bit about what you brought, why you brought it, and uh, I'll pour while you do that. Um, I brought a bottle of Brovie with me. Uh, I didn't bring a bottle of Rowania because I figured someone else would be doing that. Uh, but it's a vineyard that I love a lot, uh, called, now called Rocche di Castiglione, under the new system. It used to be just called Rocche, that was it. There are perhaps 10 owners of Rocche, and it's the vineyard right next door to Lucas Pira. And he just told me earlier on uh, today that he's uh, just bought half a hectare of Rocche. So he's now one of the ten owners. It was a secret. Was a secret. <laughs> now, <laughs> which is you know, it, it was kind of interesting as well because he's making a handful of Barbaresco in the old cellar, and then at uh, at Pira there's the new cellar to make two different wines just from Pira. So to have a new Barolo in the mix is pretty exciting. So this is this is like really welcome news. Uh, but it's it's a very special vineyard uh, like Pira. It's got a serious uh, slope, a little bit of sand um, in the soil. It's quite free-draining. The net result is you tend to get quite a lot of perfume in, in many vintages, especially when the wine is young. Some vintages are also pretty classic, but this is the lighter side of Castiglione, and Castiglione is the lighter side of Albrolo. We just had the, uh, the Maria Teresa Muscarello, yeah. which was more classic, mid-plus weight, sort of solid, more square, structured Barolo. Well, 11, as I remember, is really quite a hot vintage, but uh, this is going to, it's bright, and it's got a, but it's, as all the wines we've tasted have been wonderfully elegant, but um, 
um, you can just definitely feel a bit more roundness in the ripeness. So, you know, we've been tasting more on the kind of sour cherries, Morello cherries kind of thing. This is a bit, a bit, a bit more um, kind of on the, the riper side of that fruit, but it's still so... I think of the 11s that I know, they're slightly crunchier, slightly firmer structure, whereas 12s, like Lucas 12s, and also Brovia's 12s next door, it's a, it's a higher a higher finesse or more suave vintage straight out of the bottle. So David, do you want to tell us, did you have an epiphany, a Nebbiolo epiphany that maybe you want to... Yeah, in about, in about 1996, uh, I remember very vividly my first, uh, first Barolo that really sort of turned me on to Barolo was 88 Grand Busia. And now when you know that I'm a sort of into traditional style yeah. Barolo, that's kind of surprising. But I think it's a wine that in more vintages than not, it's, it's, the, it's the wine that Aldo Contena really nailed through the last decades. Um, and uh, that sort of awakened my interest in Barolo. Then in the late 90s, I lived in Edinburgh uh, as a, working as a head som, And there was a, a great friend of Rayburn, a chap called Silvio, um, had a restaurant. Uh, and we used to buy Barolo. Uh, the price went up £10 every decade. So a wine from the 60s cost £10 more than a wine from the 70s. And I remember having sort of all the Vietti single vineyard 71s, drinking several bottles of um, uh, Giacomo Conterno 71, a special bottling they made for someone. And also various things from 64, 61s, from the 50s. And trying several producers, but also going back in time. And that, and, you know, of course, then as soon as I had the money, time, and the right kind of job, I was straight over to Barolo for a two-week stay and visited lots of people. And then I went to live in Piemonte. So, yeah, it's, it's an area that, that's very close to my heart. But I think if we look at sort of all the, the famous grapes or all the famous wine regions of the world, very few of them really truly deserve their reputation. And I think Nebbiolo is one of the great five red grapes, if not higher up. And I think Barolo and Barbaresco, they are one of the world's top five red wine regions. And there's maybe something else to, to, to think about as well, tasting the Brovia. Um, something that they, they share with Luca is a commitment to clean farming. And this is one of the other things that's come out in the last decades. Has been a, a small body of producers, a growing body of producers, who said, right, we're going to go organic, we're going to be highly sustainable, we're going to be certified or not. I can't think of a lot of producers in Piemonte who are totally biodynamic. It's more of an organic direction than biodynamic. It's more organic than biodynamic, I agree with you. And uh, for example, in our state, uh, I am really proud of my family because I only started in 2001, but uh, our soil never touched chemistry because uh, before the 60s or 70s, nobody used chemistry. Uh, and in the 70s, my father, Alfredo, he was already involved in, uh, in the business. He said, no, I don't want to do uh, nothing about chemistry. And we have really clean soil. Uh, but uh, all around, I have uh, good friends. They work really well. They, they don't use any kind of herbicide and they keep uh, the grass. This is so important because uh, we, at the end, we make wine. It's an aliment have to be healthy. And of course, everybody knows we have uh, alcohol inside, but uh, all the other things uh, that we don't want uh, herbicide, pesticide uh, in the in wine. The wine. Um, and it's, it's perhaps worth noting that of the 10 or so producers that form the group of Viniveri, two of them, are from are from the, from the Lange, uh, and you know you've you've been you've been participating in yeah, in, in the, the in the vinature tasting and also you know many of the early raw fairs. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting being a producer from 
an established historic Bar Barolo classic yeah. Donizetti producer, but also at a natural wine fair. Yeah. Well, I think that's the important thing, to know, especially with Romagna, is that people, you know, look at that as kind of a, a more modern, contemporary thing. But it, the important thing to know with Romagna is that it's just been, you know, it's been centuries of just yeah. dedication and perseverance to a very um, dedicated philosophy, and I think that's so. Uh, you're not adjusting to them, you fit in because you've been doing it before it was cool, as they say. Yes, but uh, for my point of view, if you don't uh, have life in your vineyards, in uh, your soil, you can make wines with identity. And uh, for us is uh, something important uh, working this way because if we don't keep the grass, if we don't have animals around, we can't make uh, the good habitat for the vines. The monocultura, the vines everywhere without other things, uh, are not good. It's a problem. We need other kind of vegetable, other kind of grass, and uh, this is good for the, for the soil. If we don't have these kind of conditions, I am quite sure it's impossible to make wine with complexity. So uh, thank you so much for, for being here tonight, you guys. And Luca, thank yeah. you so much for joining us and sharing some beautiful wines. And we've got a bit of a, a special grand finale here to wrap up this uh, pretty prolific tasting um, while, we, while, we, while we taste and wrap. Um, I've got the 2008 Cricket Paillet, um, one of your top wine. Um, and uh, so let me pour that out for us while you tell us a bit about what is this mystery bottle you have covered in <laughs> dust that you've brought But from I yourself. always like to open uh, something from our past. This wine was made with, from my grandfather Giovanni and also with the help of my father Alfredo. Okay. What a contrast. I think for me, Cricket Pais, you said it was bottled last summer? Yeah, it was bottled the 2 August, the 2nd August uh, 2017. So it's still in that sort of first year or two where it settles down after bottling. For us, this is a unique vineyard. Um, my grandfather bought the, the Paillet and the Cricket Paillet in 1953. In the same year, uh, my father Alfredo was born. And uh, uh, he found this plot is uh, half an hectare, is uh, quite tiny, is 0.52 hectares, uh, different. Uh, he discovered this because he started vinify after 53, every vintage. and. Uh, this, this barrel was never ready. Okay. Two years of age, three years of age, four years, never ready. And he decided to use for the family reserva. Uh, the first uh, vintage we, we still have uh, in cellar is the 58. And it was released with the name of Cricket Paillet. In the first vintage, it was 78. We don't release this wine every year. It have to be something special. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's always from this uh, plot. But uh, if it's not uh, at the level for uh, a cricket paillet, we don't release it. So on the hill of paillet, where is the cricket paillet? It's the higher part, but you, you need to know in Lange, we consider the best part, the noble part, never the higher part, never the bottom, always the middle part of the hills or small hills well protected uh, for the window. Yeah. Uh, like the amphitheater or the Exactly. A paillet is a perfect amphitheater. Yeah. If you come in a, in a paillet vineyard, you will see, uh, you know, we are in Lange. Lange means tongue. And the paillet is a classic tongue of the Lange. It's a really small area. All the paillet is like a little bit more than four hectares. Mm -hmm. 
uh, we have 1.83 hectares for the different selection we do by age of the vines and 0.52 hectares for, uh, for this wine. Yeah. We consider this wine our most important wine, not because it's more complex, not because it's more fruity, but it, because if you keep a long time, this wine will uh, give you emotions. What about uh, the second bottle? Do you have any idea? I like to do blind. <laughs> I mean, it's, it tastes a lot younger than I was expecting it to. It's very roses, it's very sort of Chinese rock tea. It's very, um, there's the or oriental edge from it. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's developed, it's f maturely fragrant. It's still got plenty of We enjoyed the, 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 the good thing of Nebbiolo, and we discussed it before about this, you can enjoy young, and it was what we did before. But Nebbiolo is this. Yes. yes. Nebbiolo. So this, this wine is still not old. This wine is still, still mid exactly. plus, yeah. medium to full maturity. It's still got yes. time ahead. I was alive. I, you know the rule of uh, David, you know the rule of our family. I am not allowed to bring bottles older than me, ah. but this is not really far of my okay. age. So I know where we are. Now, I, I know he's born in 1981. So if this wine is younger than him, then it's soon after there. Yes. It feels I, much was, younger than yes. an 82 that I would, than any 82 I've tasted. It's like, I'm thinking 85, 88? You are right. You said the, 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 the correct vintage? I'd have to say 88 because uh, that would be my guess. Wow. Is the 88? Cricket by yeah. I never had. I remember having the, the blended uh, Barbaresco before Barbaresco. with you. Yeah. Uh, the, I decided to bring one bottle of our history and I decided to bring a Cricket Paille for show you the beauty of the Cricket Paille because uh, this wine never age, or of course age. Uh, now we have a secondary tertiary uh, inside of the nose, but still... The structure is vibrant, and, yes. but not you can, uh, Yes, you can keep this wine for other 20, 30 years without any problem. In the first 10 years, it must have been pretty tannic. Yes, yes. Also, this was the hand, the way to make wines uh, in the 80s. The hand of my grandfather, the hand of my father. Uh, really classic, uh, uh, really tannic. Yeah. And, uh, but I think you can find the fir rouge between the two wines. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for bringing some exquisite bottles. We're waxing on Nebbiolo, and um, um, this is a pretty fitting way to finish the 20 years of uh, the same vineyard. So, cheers, salute. Salute. Chin chin. Grazie mille. Thank you, gentlemen. And thank you to Farah um, and the team here at Claridges for hosting us. And um, cheers. Salute. Fuck, that's good. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Please take a moment to give a review online at BYO Podcast.